and speak to us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, Mitchum. First chance I've had a chance to have a, have a chat with you and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think we have some important things to think about over the next few weeks, so I'm going to give a bit of a long introduction today, which will perform as the, the function of the introduction for the next few weeks. But before I do that, let me read to you from Acts chapter 17, uh, beginning at verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in many ways you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not very far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let's read that last phrase again. For in him we live and move and have our being. Let me have the uh, first slide up, if I may. There we go. What are the future? What is likely for us in the future? I want to say to you that I think we're on the edge of destiny here in 2023 and we need to understand that we face a very, very challenging future in our society, very challenging in the, in the future. Um, not working. That's it. If I turn it on, it works. Where to from here? What of the future? What are we to do? What are we to understand about what the future is on about? Doing it again. Ah. We're living through a period of massive change. Have a look at that. See what I'm doing wrong. Oh, make an idea. <laughs> we'll get that plugged into the computer. And we're away. We're living in through a period of massive change. I don't know whether you're aware of it, but our society is crumbling. And we are in the middle of very, very significant change. Just at the moment. Um, we are... Uh, living through a period comparable to world revolutions of the past. We talked about the agrarian revolution. We talked about the industrial revolution. Talked about the computer revolution. Now we're talking about the AI revolution, not artificial insemination, artificial information. At an international, at an international level and at a national level, 
we are going to see that we are taken over by an AI plague which whilst it's very good in hospitals and whilst it's very good in a whole pile of different ways, the fact is that this AI revolution has the potential to tell us lies wherever we are and wherever we go and we'll never know what the truth is. Most recent COVID pandemic and all the corollary effects of it has changed our society. People are not working where they used to work. People are not doing what they used to do. People are moving out into places outside the central area of Melbourne because they can work from there and live in a much nicer environment. The world is changing significantly. Cultural changes are happening in our world. They are inexorable. They are fast acting. They are marked by significant insecurity and they are psychological in form. You talk to any of the university students now who were in high school over the COVID period and they will tell you over and over again there is significant mental anguish among them. Our world is changing. We need to be saying to ourselves, how does that affect us as Christians? Let me take example one of the, of the changes that, that are around the place. I read this, Richard Raw is a, a Catholic writer from the United States and he picks up a phrase from somebody and then applies to it. We're going to hit some turbulence ahead, my flying instructor went on, and you will learn something about your airplane. If you tighten your grip on the yoke, you reduce the aer aerodynamics in the aircraft, you as the pilot actually make the flight less safe, steady and stable. So remember when the flying gets rough, fly loose. Then he says, our world today is nothing if not a swirling, turbulent wind tossing us around. Recently, we've experienced economic meltdown, climate countdown, racial throwdown, political breakdown, technological showdown, religious letdown. Who would want to live in the United States with President Trump in charge? Who would want to live in the Ukraine? Who would like to, work, who would like to live in Syria. Example two. Oh, can we have sound on that? Can you put sound on that for me? Take a look at this picture of the Pope wearing a puffer jacket. He looks stylish, right? Or how about these pictures of Donald Trump being arrested in New York? Or French President Emmanuel Macron striding through tear gas among the riots in Paris? If you don't remember it happening, then you're correct. These images were created entirely by artificial intelligence, or more specifically by Midjourney, an AI software which creates images from text prompts. It's becoming harder and harder to identify what's real and what's fake. Will we get to a point where we cannot tell the difference? Well, that's what Rajul Gupta thinks. Rajul was named by Forbes as one of the tech entrepreneurs redefining the American dream. He's the founder of Deep Media, a company striving to create ethical AI tools. The images created from um, these GAN-based and diffusion-based models uh, are a harbinger of what's to come. We are quickly approaching a world where anything you see on social media, anything you see online or on TV or in the movies could be fake. In the next five years, instead of seeing an image of a Pope wearing a puffy jacket, we will see a video of the Pope breakdancing in a puffy jacket. 
right? Instead of seeing an image of Donald Trump in prison, we will see videos of Donald Trump on a private jet speaking Russian, fully realistic. Going into audio and video um, in ways that are fully realistic, where people can't tell it's fake, that's what's coming. And it's not gonna take five years, it's gonna take one. Gonna take one. Considering that that was written probably three or four months ago, it's gonna take by the end of this year. And by the end of this year, you will be able to look at TV and you will never know whether it's true or false. You may get a message on your phone and uh, your wife appears and she says, hello, John, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Look, I need you to transfer $1,000 to this account. Remember that one? Yes, dear. But she's not my wife. She's a creation of an AI person and she'll transfer out $1,000 into an account that I don't know anything about. You think this world is going to be comfortable, uh, there's going to be a comfortable ride for us into the future? What do we have to look forward to as our society changes? Let me read to you some predictions that were listed in the LinkedIn, you know, the LinkedIn commuter program. Petrol pumps were away. Street corners will have meters that dispense electricity. Companies will install electrical recharging stations. In fact, they've already started in the developed world. I sent this to my brother-in-law who's interested in this stuff too. And I said, look at it, 2023 and this is happening. He sent back a message to say, this was written in 2018, buddy. It's been going for five years. Smart major auto manufacturers have already designated money to start building new plants that only build electric cars. Coal industries will go away. Gasoline and oil companies will go away. Drilling for oil will stop. Say goodbye to OPEC. Does that create any political tension in the world? The Middle East is in trouble. A baby of today will only see personal cars in museums. The future is approaching faster than most of us can handle. In 1998, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all the photo paper worldwide. Within just a few years, their business model disappeared and they went bankrupt. Uber is just a software tool. They don't own any cars and now they're the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb is now the biggest hotel company in the world. Although they don't own any properties, ask Hilton Hotels if they saw that coming. In the US, young lawyers already don't get jobs. Because of IBM's Watson, a big computer, uh, you can get legal advice, so far right now, the basic stuff, within seconds, with 90% accuracy compared with 70% accuracy when done by human beings. So if you study law, stop now. There will be 90% fewer lawyers in the future. What a thought. Only omniscient specialists will remain. Autonomous cars. In 2018, the first self-driving cars were already here. In the next two years, the entire industry will start to be disrupted. You won't, don't, you won't want to own a car anymore as you will call a car with your phone. It will show up at your location and drive you to your destination. You'll not need to park. You'll only need to pay for the driven distance and you can be productive while driving. The very young children of today will never get a driver's license and will never own a car. This will change our cities because we all need 90 because we'll need 90 to 90% fewer cars, we can transform former parking spaces into green parks. 
Do we see advertisements now of the, of the Lord Mayor of Melbourne beginning to deal with this issue and people not coming into their offices? This will change our cities because we'll need 90 to 90% pure, pure cars. Insurance companies will have massive trouble because without accidents, the costs will become cheaper. The car company, the car insurance business model will disappear. Real estate will change. Because of it, you can work while you commute. People will abandon their towers to move far away to more beautiful, affordable suburbs where they can work from home. Electric cars will become mainstream about 2030. Cities will be less noisy because all new cars will run on electricity. Imagine the airspace in China and India and here because there's no other kind of cars. Now, I'm not making this up. That's off LinkedIn. We've got to ask ourselves, what kind of world are we living in and how are we as the people of God going to cope with this massive change? Because if we don't learn how to cope with it properly, we are going to be swept away as irrelevant in our society. And do we let our culture become the critique of our faith? Do we allow the culture of our, uh, of our society to be the basis of our own, of our own faith? They, do they become the criteria of who we are? And we begin to say, well, the, the world at the moment is saying uh, that uh, mixed marriages is fine. Um, let's, let's, the church can say, well, let's, let's, yeah, let's run with that. We can cope with that. Do we need to change our values because our society is changing so much, so rapidly? And if we don't change our values, how do we know we can stand on something solid? Or do we say to ourselves, our faith needs to critique our culture? This is serious stuff. How do we know we're going to be able to approach what's happening in our society with a steady, steady hand on what is true and what is not? Because in our world out there, nothing is true. And everything is true. If that's what you think, that's fine. That's good for you. What is the basis of our decision-making in the future? Now, I want to say to you that I don't believe myself that this is just a one-off sermon, that you can go home and say, well, that was interesting, we'll go home. I believe that this is true. And that you and I now as church need to figure out what it means to be the people of God. What of the future? Where to from here? We are moving on the edge of destiny in 2023. It is the truth. It's now our time. It's now our age. And we, when we do what we do, will set the pattern for the future because we are the ones now who are here to grasp the reality of what's happening and allow the faith to be what it's supposed to be. This is our time. This is our generation. This is what needs to be done in our heads, in our church, and in our world as the people of God. Well, what about the future? How is the individual and the church going to face the future? We need at least, I think, to identify the basis of our faith and we need to move back to the basis of our faith and begin to operate our lives entirely on the basis of our faith. And over the next few months, the, the, the rest of the, the guys on the staff and I are going to be preaching about that. And I, the other thing I think we need to deal with is this, deal with the accretions to our faith. 
uh, we need to deal with, I'll, do that, I'll talk about that very quickly and I'll give you an example. Uh, the accretions to our faith when I was growing up were these. You needed to wear a suit to church. Uh, you needed to wear your suit all day. If you were rebellious like me and the other teenagers, you wore white socks to prove that, you know, nobody was in total control. Uh, Sunday school started at 9.30 in the morning. Church was at 11. You'd go home and have a nice roast and apple pie for lunch. Uh, sorry, CE was at 2.30 in the afternoon uh, till 4 o'clock. You'd go home and have a nice dinner. Church was at 7 o'clock. And after church, you'd go to one of the other young uh, youth leaders' places and his wife would set up, uh, or his mother would set up lovely supper. And that was Sunday. You did that every Sunday. The only thing that mattered was that you were over the line. If you were over the line and saved, that's all the Christian faith was about, except that there were things you had to do. If you were a guy like me, you weren't allowed to drink, you weren't allowed to smoke, you weren't allowed to go out with bad women, you, you uh, had to make sure you behaved absolutely appropriately all the time and you had to go to church every Sunday. I want to say to you that those are accretions on our faith that need to be dealt with and we have dealt with those. I remember my wife and I, we'd been married for about nine months, we went to church, we came home and said, how about on the way home we buy fish and chips and sit in the park and eat it for lunch? And we looked at each other and we said, yeah, let's, let's try it. And I honestly thought there was going to be, boom, big lightning flash and get rid of him and all that stuff. Nothing. See, we need to say to ourselves, what is our faith? It's not the things we do. The things we do might be a response to our faith, but they are not our faith. Listen carefully to Jesus' advice. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There is no priority in life except those red words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Move to his kingdom and life in his kingdom will provide you with the resources that you need to cope with the kingdom of this world. They are two distinct locations. They both exist, they are both real, but the people of God have been born again not to live in the kingdom of this world and cope with its problems, but to move into the kingdom of God, to be ruled in the kingdom of God by who God is and understanding the, the patterns and the behaviours of this kingdom and when we live in this kingdom, that kingdom will look after itself because the boss will look after us. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We are going to go through those things that I read out. Our world is going to be vastly different, vastly different. We need to say, how do we continue on? That's uh, Matthew 6, 31 to 34, by the way. Well, what about the future here? How do we do this? It's all very well to know it. It's all very well to have the theoretical model in our head which says, how do we, how do we, well, we go to the kingdom. We live in the kingdom. Well, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? 
How do we do this? Where do we start? How do we as a church together begin the process of saying we are going to stand against the society or we're going to stand in the society and we are going to stand firm on the faith of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are servants of the living God. That's who we are as a church. How are we going to do that? Paul gives us the starting point in his comments to the Athenians, that one I read just a little while ago. He's not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. The Christian faith has nothing to do with getting across the line. It has everything to do to moving into a relationship with Jesus Christ that is like this, and thereby moving through life on the basis of his presence in our mind and in our heart. His Holy Spirit comes to live within us and then he says to us, and I know this is not good for Baptists, come dance with me. Come dance with me. Let my Holy Spirit be the dance partner who guides and leads you through your life. Come be my partner for life. Let me speak into your heart. Let me speak into your actions. Let me speak into your beliefs. Nothing to do with whether I wear a suit to church or not, for goodness sake. In him we live and move and have our being applies to all humanity. Every human being on the face of this earth faces the same reality. But it comes with a corollary. And the corollary is this, you're free to choose. If you, on hearing this information, decide to say to yourself, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to go there. The kingdom of God the kingdom of this world, I'm sorry, is your home forever. And you live by the rules of this kingdom, you live by the truths of this kingdom, and when you see the master face to face at the end of your life and he says to you, did you choose me? You'll say, no, I, I, I didn't choose you. He'll say, well, you'll spend your life in eternity on that basis. You choose. We speak out our own destiny. If you choose yes, the kingdom of God is your home forever and you step into a new kingdom as you are born again. A new kingdom with different sets of rules, no rules, in fact, just relationship. The stories of the New Testament and the Old Testament are now stories of the kingdom. Stories which say this is the best way to go in the kingdom. If you don't go that way, these are the consequences. Take this road. He never forces us to do anything but says to us, walk the road with me. If you choose yes, the kingdom of God is your home. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Live to rules of this kingdom and he will deal with the other world completely. The pattern for this kingdom, you see, is relationship. A relationship with Jesus Christ. A relationship that is confirmed by his spirit living in your heart and your mind, speaking into the life of your spirit, taking your prayers to the Father, giving them to the Father and the, the news and the information from the Father and from Jesus Christ through to you. He speaks into your heart and into your mind. That's where the full-blown heart excitement comes because you live in constant relationship with Jesus over and over again. And when things come along that are not supposed to be there, he says to your brother, walk this way. Sister, go down that road. That's the right way. Walk in it. 
So we as a church now need to understand that our faith is built on the kingdom. And to understand the kingdom is to understand how we're going to move ahead into the world that comes before us and how our lives are meant to be. In him we live. He gives us life. He gave us life. And now as we, uh, we think about creation, recreation ourselves, he gives us that. He gives us love. He gives us gentleness. He gives us humility. He gives us the destiny of life. In, 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 this, in this walk we have with him. He is our source. He is our heart. We live in him. It's a, it's a life that is dynamic and rich and strong, alive, changing as time goes on and circumstances change. In him we move. What is your destiny? In him you move. He says where to go. He shows you the way. He takes you to the places. He, he know where the, knows where the future leads. He knows what's going on. You don't. You and I deal with the present. He knows the future and deals with the future. And in him we move. In him we have our being. The essence of our character. The very, very depth of the, the thing which is us. Covered by all this stuff on the outside. The knowledge of the holy the knowledge of wonder, the knowledge of greatness, the knowledge of a future certain in heaven and with him. In him. Now I want to say this and I want to ask you to listen carefully to this one. When we are born again, the Lord of the universe invites us to come into him. And into him is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He invites us to share in the relationship that exists between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He invites us to share that. We're not God in that relationship. We are simply his partner. But he says to us, come into me. Come into me, really, and allow your heart and your mind and your soul and your, your mind, everything who you are, allow, allow me to be the guide. Some, one person has, has come up with a book which expresses all of this and he, he's called it The Great Dance. Because it is. Now, you know full well I'm not talking about doing the waltz on the stage here. I'm talking about what he says to us about what life is supposed to be about. Life is this great dance with him. This, this, this great spending my future with, with the Lord of the universe showing me the direction of life. What's all this for? Well, this is really how Jesus intended the Christian life to be lived. The great dance is how he intended it. The invitation into the, into the, the Lord of the universe is real. That's what he intended. He intended us to do it in intimate obedience. In intimate obedience. My wife and I have that kind of relationship. We talk together, we care together, we love together, we have our kids together, we do everything. We talk with one another all the time. We chatter away. And I know everything about my wife and my wife knows everything about me. For her sins... God says to us, come, come into me. Come into me and when you're hurting, tell me. 
when, when there's fear around the place, come, come to me and, and I'll help you. Come to me when, when the burden's getting too much. Lay it on me because I'll give you a yoke for your shoulders that won't be too heavy. It'll guide you. It won't be too heavy, but give me your worries. Let me look after them for you. This is the intimate obedience he expects from us. He expects, uh, Jesus expects us to be formed into the likeness of Christ. In this process, in this living in the kingdom, he makes us to be like himself. And we, we begin to learn about the grace that only God can give. We begin to learn about the love that only Jesus can spend in us. As we saw him when he was here, he spends it in us again. How do we know that? Well, we grow. We don't ever conform to the complete likeness of Christ until we see him face to face. But maturity comes. Maturity in the faith. Love in the faith comes. That's what he intended. That's what he expected it to be. He expects it to be in this church. This church to be powered by the Spirit of God, going the directions that it's supposed to go. He expects us to contribute to the kingdom of God. He could do everything himself if he wanted to, but he says to us, come join me in the dance and let me use your resources. In fact, let, no, let, let me give you the resources. I won't use your resources. I'll, I'll put gifts into your life. And if you're prepared to use those gifts for me, I'll empower you to do what you're supposed to do. And when you're supposed to do that, you contribute to the kingdom. The kingdom grows moves like yeast around the place and people come to faith because they think, look at how those people love one another. For us to contribute to the kingdom of God, we are not just to sit still and do nothing. That is not what the faith is about. We're here to care for this world. Care for the resources of this world. This world thinks we're here to rape our world. To get whatever we can and keep it for ourselves and spend it on ourselves. We have people going to the, to the uh, space station, charging 80 million or something or other, and they see from the space station the starving in India and the starving in other places, and they say, I spent my money well. That's our world. We're here to serve as Jesus served. We're here to love as Jesus loved. Is that not true? Then I ask you, family, to listen carefully as over the next few weeks we begin to explore this notion of living in the kingdom. I want you to transfer yourself mentally from the kingdom in which we live physically into the kingdom in which we belong for eternity and live this way to combat this way. You with me? Amen.